Hello and welcome to Behind the Suit and Tie with me, Tama Chowdhury. In Behind the Suit and Tie, we explore the people behind the workers and why they do the things they do. We also discuss the latest news and how we can make work more human. Have you ever sat next to a colleague, perhaps for years, and realised you knew very little about them? This podcast is here to learn more about the world of work and the people within it. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Suit and Tie. Um, I'm delighted to be joined with um, Anna Brunmeyer. So Anna, you're a leadership coach, uh, particularly looking and working with new managers, and you're also a coach for a coach training school. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you, and thanks for having me here. And yes, I have my own coaching business. I also work for one of the world's leading coach training schools, so there's plenty of coaching in my life. Yeah, great. Um, and, and before we jump into kind of coaching, um, how how is the new year treating you? Well, so far, I love new starts. And I feel like the start of a new year is always really motivating. And then the key is to keep it going, um, even after January. So <laughs> I set my new year's resolutions and I'm going strong. And I hope it will stay that way throughout the year. Uh, would you mind sharing what your new year's resolutions are? <laughs> so my new year's resolutions, there are personal ones and then there are business ones. So Personally, I have the, I think, most standard New Year's resolution, and that is to hit the gym. And I've been doing so, so I'm one of those people that show up in the gym in January. Um, And then for my business, of course, I also have big plans, and I want to host more workshops. I want to start a group program. So plenty of things to do, and I really want to focus on action and going past the planning phase because it's quite easy to get stuck there. Uh, for sure, um, I, I find it quite funny actually because, um, well, I'm glad New Year's resolutions if they work for you, then great. Um, I personally am less of a fan, um, but hey, it's good to have prompts. Um, no, I kind of. It, I find my reflection period actually starts a bit earlier anyway, because I've kind of gone off uh, in December. So um, yeah, um, if it gets you going, then I guess it gets you going. Exactly. And I think it's a lot about the how. I think um, you really have to separate. I mean, goal setting in general, it's something that many people struggle with because they either sit, uh, set really big or really small goals. So it's all about finding that sweet spot. So it's actually doable and achievable and it keeps you motivated. Yeah. And and maybe we can talk a bit more about that um, in terms of, you mentioned you had some business um, goals and, and trying to figure out the how about that. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a bit more about that. So, I mean, in general, when it comes to goal setting, I find that it's good to have big goals. I'm a fan of big goals. But I think it's also very important to set achievable goals. And that's also what I see in my clients. If the goals are too big, then they get frustrated because it's really hard to reach the goal. And if it's too small, uh, people also get frustrated or they're not motivated to go after it because it's just a tiny thing. 
So it's all about find or setting the big goal and really breaking it down into smaller achievable steps. And then you have that constant reward every time you hit the goal and that keeps you going. So that's how I usually like to set my goals. I have a big goal and I break it down into smaller steps that I can follow through with on a weekly or monthly or sometimes even daily basis. And I find that helps me to really keep up and show up consistently because I mean, consistency is key. And I think especially with the world as it is today, consistency is one of the biggest challenges because we are used to getting quick rewards. We're used to very short attention spans. So I think if someone can show up consistently, that alone is already a great different differentiator as a person, as a professional, and it can really help you to just stand out in the crowd. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, and I mean, you mentioned a few things there that, that I think is pretty interesting. And I feel like we're, we're edging around the, the whole coaching um, stuff in general because i think that's the sort of conversation that i think we weren't always naturally going to have um th there was a few interesting things i mean you mentioned um you know setting a big goal um i'd, I'd love to understand a bit more kind of how you as a person go about that because i think in coaching we we talk a lot about it um but one thing i kind of know is everyone has their own way of doing it uh me i just kind of go off and read some books and then i'm like yeah i fancy doing this um but it, it can really uh, very per person, um, and I'm going to cast the cardinal sin of a double question. The other one was that you mentioned uh, a consistency um, and kind of how you go about creating consistency for yourself. Yeah, and I think it's really linked together as well because, I mean, goal setting, there are so many different strategies, tools you can use, so it can get a bit overwhelming. And in general, I'm always a huge fan of just trying to see what works best for you. I don't think there's a one size fits all with any of those personal development tools. You always have the freedom to adjust and to really find what, what works best in your situation. So the way I like to, to set goals is that, of course, it's great if it's measurable. I think many people have heard of setting SMART goals. I like that. Um, I find it just gives the whole goal setting process a bit of structure. And then I also believe in writing it down. I saw a study once and I'm not sure <laughs> if I remember the exact number, but the people who write down their goals are way more likely to achieve them. So I think it's very important to just write them down somewhere. And then as I said, break them down. So for example, in my notes app on the phone, I have a note with my yearly goal. I have a note with my monthly goal and my weekly goal. And that does not mean I have to go and achieve them every week. There are still weeks where I don't hit that goal. And that's fine too. I think it's also important to not beat yourself up and to be able to adjust your strategy because you can't plan the full year. You never know what's going to happen. So you have to allow a bit of flexibility as well. Mm. I I find that so interesting. Um, I mean, one, because I've, I guess I've done my own sort of coaching qualification as well. Um, but I, I find it funny because I, 
I feel like I'm quite different in terms of how I, uh, I, I mean, on the one hand, uh, I think structure is really key and having a clear goal, uh, I think is this as well. Um, but I'm probably uh, slightly less rigorous um, in, in my approach. And, and I, I think it just goes to show that there's different ways of approaching it. And, yeah. and clearly um, this, this approach that you take, I mean, I mean, it works for you, so, so it sounds great. Um, it sounds quite meticulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's why I said it's really about finding out what works best for you. And you can't show up consistently with something that you don't like doing, because then you already have that resistance when you start writing down the goal. And that's what will hold you back. So it's really important to find your own way of doing it as well. And you can always adjust styles. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, maybe it's a good opportunity. I mean, I feel like we've, we're talking about it without necessarily naming it, but um, for a lot of people perhaps listening, um, they've heard of a coach um, and, and the concept of a coach, um, perhaps in different formats as much as anything. Um, so maybe it might be a good opportunity to kind of, uh, well, ask you, you know, in terms of what you do, I mean, what, when you say you're a leadership coach, what does that entail? Yeah. So I specialize in working with people who are transitioning into the management positions and who are within those first five years of their management career. So really going from individual contributor to being in a management position and becoming a leader because that's the part where, of course, many of us get overwhelmed and it's also, it's completely different because if you start working as an individual contributor, you have to be good at a certain topic. But once you start becoming a leader, you're more of a generalist and letting go of that need for control, not micromanaging, getting um, the respect and showing up as an authority person, or at least thinking, having to show up as an authority person, often things that people struggle with. So, and I've been there myself. My background is in the startup tech startup world. And I also, I worked my way up. I managed smaller teams. I transitioned into bigger roles where I managed um, a team for EMEA. And I definitely struggled at the transition as well. And then um, that was the reason why I think it's good to offer some help there. And, Let's be honest, there are a lot of bad managers out there. I had the privilege to see bad management and really good management. And it's just fantastic to see how much of an impact good management has on people. And we spend a third of our lives at work. And I think if we have more really good managers out there that create work environments in which people feel safe and really use the full potential, then people will be in general a lot happier. And that's my mission to really build better workplaces. Yeah, I love the phrase, um, you've had the privilege of having <laughs> bad and good managers. Um, <laughs> so it's a very, uh, I, I'm, I'm very impressed with your um, positive mindset towards that. <laughs> I'm not sure everyone would uh, look at it quite that way, but um, maybe in the moment that and like in the moment when I had bad managers, I did not like it at all. I did not feel privileged. But now looking back, I'm glad that I made that experience. But it's hard. 
it's hard when you dread going to work. It's hard when you feel like your manager is just trying to work against you and not with you. And I think that a lot of those managers that struggle with micromanaging, for example, I always find that's the prime example, then they are usually just struggling with imposter syndrome, believing they're not good enough or thinking they have to control everything because otherwise things fall apart or they have to gain respect through just being very strict. So I think there's a lot of training and development to be done. And I'm always surprised how there's no training in place for new managers. Um, there's a big number of people who transition into leadership positions and never get any training. And of course, it's understandable that many get lost then. Yeah, no, uh, and I definitely agree. I mean, I've certainly seen my fair share and, and indeed gone through my own experience of kind of going to leadership and, and management and stuff. But um, I mean, before we talk a bit more about that, because I'd love to dive in, but um, I'm, I'm also conscious that um, people might not necessarily be that familiar with what what it looks like in practice in terms of, you know, yeah. what you do and how you work with with your clients. Um, so, so maybe we could talk a bit more about kind of what the what the sort of more nitty gritty of what a coach does and what you do. Good question. It's so easy to forget that when everything you do is coaching um, because it becomes second nature and then you forget to really explain to people what it actually is. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people get confused between, okay, what is therapy? What is coaching? Because they're still very similar, but in coaching, we really only focus on the future. We might touch on the past because we are all conditioned in a certain way, but our focus is on the future and achieving goals and really increasing performance. And whereas in therapy, you really focus on the past and resolving something that happened in the past. So in coaching, we really want to see, okay, what is the goal? How can we get there? And what is holding you back? Because if we think about it, if you say, okay, I really want to get that, um, that promotion, for example, that's great. So what is holding you back from really getting that promotion? You might think that, or you might be afraid to ask for it. You might think you have to know more. You have to get another certification, a degree. So we look at the things that are holding people back and then help to really create actionable steps and help them to achieve their goals. And what I also really like doing is group coaching because I actually, I know not everyone might agree with me saying that, but I find group coaching can be more valuable than one-on-one -on -one coaching because you get that group aspect where you can also learn from each other. And in group coaching, you really focus on setting, still setting your individual goals, but also sharing what went wrong, what went well, and celebrating each other. And I find that that support in the group and also the networking aspect can be really beneficial as well. Mm, no, thank you for sharing. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think coaching comes in quite a few different forms. Um, while we're on the subject of perhaps a slightly more technical or, or the, the, the pragmatic side, um, how do you tend to come across or how do how do clients tend to find you? Yeah, so 
of course there are referrals um that's probably the the easiest way to get in touch and get to know each other and then of course social media and i think there's a lot of noise on social media but there are some really great content creators there's some really great coaches you can connect with and that's how i usually connect with my clients as well okay well i know it's um that's not it's just interesting to know to be honest um because i think it's uh it's a it's a funny old world and particularly with the pandemic and and um oh yeah it's also like a bit less of a known thing and I suppose the thing that also comes to me, say, you know, with something like social media, I think we see a lot of uh, people selling things and, and you know, um, I, I've certainly come across my fair share of, you know, coaching and you'll become rich in two weeks or whatever. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. what would you say to people who, you know, see see what you're doing and think, oh, you know, this is just a, some made up snake oil thing that doesn't actually do anything? Well, I think if, so first, I think there's a lack of education in that space, which is understandable because the coaching industry is still quite a young industry. And it originated in the US. It hasn't been in Europe or APAC for so long. And I think that as a coach, it's also our job to educate people on what coaching is and isn't. And I think there's also that, I mean, the coaching industry is not regulated. We have to keep that in mind as well. There is the International Coaching Federation, which certifies coaches, but everyone can call themselves a coach right now. So I think there are a lot of people out there that call themselves coaches also might be because they don't really understand what coaching actually means. So there are people giving advice. And if you're a coach, you never give advice. And that's what you do when you consult someone. So I think the most important thing is to educate people on what coaching is and isn't. And if coaching is not for them, it's also fine. It doesn't have to be for everyone. There can be great things achieved through coaching. And I must say that for me, I made the biggest progress in my life when I had really good coaches because it's good to have someone who calls you out on the stories that you are telling yourself and all the yes that you're telling yourself. And it's also good to have someone to hold you accountable. So I like to push myself and I like to have a coach who pushes me to really achieve greater things. But if someone says it's not for them, then that's also fine. Yeah, and, and it makes me think about... Um... The, the advice giving, I think, is, is interesting because I um, I think the other thing as well is, is mentoring, um, which, which kind of gets put in this blend of things. Um, yeah. Apparently it was International Mentoring Day yesterday. I had no idea. but um, Oh, I missed that too. Yeah. It was, well, it was also Blue Monday and apparently that's yeah. a made up thing as well. I think actually I saw you post about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, the, yeah, so I, I think because um, quite a lot of, I've had a few people kind of talk to me or briefly, especially with uh, in my previous role and, you know, I was working in government um, where mentoring, you know, is like a, it's, mm-hmm. it's a more established thing. And, and quite a lot of it is kind of that advice giving. And, um, you know, I've, I've done mentoring. I've also been mentored and I think there's some real value in it uh, for sure. And yet um, I think for some of these like intangible things, like, you know, when 
for, for me with my own coach has kind of been like, okay, well, what do I actually want to do where, in my life? Where do I want to live and all these things? Um, and, you know, I've had people kind of talk to me about some of those things of like, well, if you're in a situation where you're unhappy, what would you do? And it's kind of what's led me to coaching more because I'm like, well, the things that make me unhappy are very different to the things that make you unhappy. And so, I, you know, I can sit on this pedestal and tell you, this is what I reckon and this is what you should do. But the chances of that being actually helpful are limited, especially if it's people that are quite different to me. Um, and for better or for worse, people who tend to approach me tend to see that I kind of do quite a lot on the diversity and inclusion stuff, which means that they probably are um, a bit different to me anyway. Um, and I guess, uh, I mean, this is just my own reflection, but like, I think coaching can be really powerful because it is that chance to, to really talk about stuff from your own perspective with someone rather than, you know, trying to find an article that tells you what to do or whatever. Um, of course you want prompts from outside, but it's very rare that we actually get to examine, examine things from our own perspective and kind of see where we can kind of tweak our own mindset and things like that. Absolutely. And I mean, there's so many people out there that tell you do this, do that. Um, and like you mentioned before, like get rich in 10 days, here's what you've got to do. And there's, if there would be a one size fits all solution, we would all be living the same lives. But it doesn't work like this. Everyone is unique and you have to find your own ways of doing stuff and you have to be brave enough to do that because it's easy to hide. It's not easy to face your own limitations. And that's what's so beautiful about coaching. You really get to find your own way of doing things. You get to really start taking action your own way, finding your own style. And that applies to so many areas that applies to leadership, but that also applies to how you show up in life in general, how you build relationships. So it can be really powerful. And what I always love seeing is how you work with someone on achieving one goal. And suddenly everything else falls into place as well, because how we do one thing is how we do everything. So if you're the kind of person that gets onto the treadmill and stops at 29 minutes and 50 seconds, it's very likely that that behavior shows up in other areas as well. And it's all about breaking those patterns and really establishing habits that serve you and that get you towards your goal. I, yeah, no, that, that treadmill, I, it, it did remind me though, that apparently having specific things like 30 minutes, oh, this could be a complete rumor, um, might actually not be the best thing because then you think of yourself at like the exact goals, but, um, that's me going very particular uh, about that example. Um, I, I, I think we naturally kind of looped around a little bit of like going back to this point of, you know, leadership coaching. And I guess that, that would probably be a good point. This would be a good point uh, rather, um, to kind of come back to, to what we were talking about before. And I would love to know more about, um, you know, you mentioned that you kind of work with uh, new managers, new leaders. Um, what are the sort of things that they are struggling with? So I would split that into two categories. So on one hand, you have the more uh, administrative things uh, like time management, prioritizing. And that is also linked to the second category, which is really the mindset that, like, 
believing that they are cut out for the job, believing that they can be a good leader, believing that they can earn respect and really overcoming that negative self-talk, the imposter syndrome, and really allowing themselves um, to show up as leaders. So, and that of course, that also relates to the time management and prioritizing issue, for example, because what I see um, a lot in new managers is that they actually tend to micromanage, that they have a really hard time letting go of control because they feel like if they let go of control, then who knows if the people are really doing what they're supposed to do. Or some managers might think, okay, if the job is only well done if I do it myself, and suddenly they take on too much because they don't know how to delegate. So it all leads back into really allowing yourself to find your own leadership style and really believing that you can do it. Hmm. And, and one thing that came to me actually, and, and I really like what you said about the kind of uh, splitting it in terms of the, the administrative and the mindset, because I think that does help frame it. Cause I think there are new responsibilities, you know, I, and, and perhaps I'll bring my own experience, you know, I, I think got promoted a few years ago and, and in government and suddenly, you know, thrust into management. And, you know, I think it is quite a lot to take in suddenly. Um, and, and I definitely agree. You don't, I mean, theoretically kind of get a bit trained, but, but not really, um, not as much as it would be worth considering how much of a difference it makes. Um, I guess my one observation, um, and this is in a place like, I, I guess, government where people, well, I don't know if it's that representative, but I get the feeling it somewhat is, is I think, and I'd love to kind of get your perspective on it, is I, I've seen people who kind of care about this stuff and there's people who kind kind of don't. So, um, you know, you get someone who's newly promoted for doing the thing they do. And um, I think in a place that is quite, you know, I'm working on climate change stuff now, you know, it's, it's a social Quote, quote, good um, thing. So people are kind of motivated on on doing good things. And I would guess, but maybe not massively different, there was probably a few more people who think that maybe management is also a bit more an important part. Maybe, uh, maybe not actually. Um, but anyway, so you know, you get some people who kind of see management as important and, and some that just don't care because like it's never been an issue before and you kind of just tick along. Um, I mean, is I guess firstly whether that's a fair sort of observation that you know there are there is this split, or whether I'm kind of just being a bit unfair. Like, is this is there this group of those that kind of care and, and those that don't? Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, I think there are some people who are very self sufficient, and then there's some people who really need to be managed. And I think I mean the purpose of management is to enable your people to do their best job and to get out of the way so they can do the best job as well. And I think one of the key skills for a good manager slash leader um, is that you learn what motivates your people and you have to understand the individuals on your team. So if you have someone who doesn't need a lot of management, then that's great. Find out what motivates them. Might be money, might be um, that they get more responsibility, might be time off. And 
reward them with that, keep them motivated. If you have someone who needs a bit more handholding, and I mean, I've had that. I had someone who told me I like being micromanaged. Okay, let's explore that further. What's really going on? So you have to understand what work style each of your team members have. So you can really start tailoring your management style towards them. And I feel like that is where also a lot of people struggle because, of course, we are our own center of the universe. So we think people think like us as well. And it's sometimes really hard to understand if people work very differently than we do ourselves. So I think being a good leader also means being open to allow people to find their own ways and to enable them to really use the full potential, but not to hold them back because you think you know better. Hmm. No, that's yeah, no, and I think there's definitely a distinction in terms of the the sort of different uh, different people and you know different styles, and I think that's kind of also the point as well. You know, you have organisations that have different sorts of people with different skills, and and um, I like the sort of phrase of you know management being able to basically get out of the way and, and, and make people the most effective. Um, the thing I was going to ask was, um, I guess, so I think there are quite a lot of managers that kind of, or, or put it this way, maybe from a career perspective, you know, they've kind of done well and they've kind of slowly grown through the ranks and, and then been put into this management position and, um, you know, perhaps haven't necessarily realized that they, they need to kind of use a wider set of skills than perhaps they were before and they're kind of operating in the same way. Um, I mean, from your perspective and experience, what is the point that they kind of, the, 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 the switch kind of flicks in their head that actually, um, you know, some of these things that you're talking about, maybe like the, the micromanagement and things like that. Um, when is the point when they kind of realize that that's an issue and then perhaps are in the space of approaching someone like yourself? I mean, do you have a experience in terms of what kind of makes that shift for them? Yeah. And I love that you bring that up because I mean, 50% of all leaders are rated as ineffective, which I find a really big number. <laughs> um, so I would, again, I would split it into two camps. I think there are the kind of leaders that are so self-aware that they start worrying about every little thing. And that's usually the people that seek out help, that seek out a coach. And they might not always um, like get one-on-one -on -one training, but that's the people who read management books, who follow interesting um, content creators on social media, who are eager to learn more because they feel they don't know enough yet. And then there's this other camp where they lack that self-awareness, where they feel like, okay, I'm in this management position. And I think that often it's also about the intention. So I've seen people who have been put into management positions, even though they were never keen to get into management, they just wanted a promotion. So what do you do then? Uh, of course, um, there is always the chance to learn and to shift the intention and to help them understand the importance of the role. But if someone really doesn't want to be in that position, why should they be forced to be in it? And I get it. There is a lack of good management of managers out there and companies struggle to fill in management positions, actually, 
and less and less people want to get into management. So it's gonna be a long-term challenge that we are facing. And I think that companies have the responsibility to offer training, to even give the employees the chance to broaden their horizon and see that there are different ways and see that they can develop the skills. And then of course, on an individual level, that's usually the people that are already quite concerned about how they show up. They also seek out help. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting here about sort of the, the company company responsibility as well, because I I find myself I've I've gotten a lot more into, you know, interest around how organizational culture and, and structure and you know um one thing that's always struck me, and I, I remember thinking about this in, in government as well. Um, I think one of the issues is that to get promoted, that you need to become a manager. And actually, there is something about being a specialist that does not want to be a manager that um, currently does not exist, which perhaps, you know, if we actually just created roles that were quite explicit in that, yes, maybe that might mean that you kind of go down a career, different career route and and perhaps the management one might be the one that leads you to the C-suite directly uh, or faster, I guess. Um, but I'm sure that there would be people who would take that up and ultimately might lead to the organization. I, I reckon it would probably lead to the organization doing better because it's very hard to kind of shift someone that is getting, you know, you, you can try remedial things of someone who's gotten promoted because they want more responsibility in their technical piece of work. And then it's like, ugh, about management, but I'll do it to try and not be terrible because I've gotten, you know, my own manager is telling me that I'm, you know, not doing great. So I need to go off on this leadership thing versus just being like, okay, those that actually want to do it, do yeah. it. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of work to be done in the companies. Um, and it's the company's responsibility to really have both career parts paths ready because if someone doesn't want to go into leadership how come that's the only like, plan that they have for them and the only progression plan and how come there is no progression plan if they really say they don't want to have people management responsibilities which is understandable so I think that the companies have to learn to really tailor out progression plans that work for people and then that allows them to really get the best people in for those specific roles. Because someone who wants to have people res management responsibilities, they might not be great at becoming a specialist because their interest lies somewhere else. And if you really have progression plans in place and you can foster the natural skills of your employees, your churn will also decrease because people are happy at work. So it's all a cycle. And if you create a great culture, as you said, then you will be able to really use your employees' skills and keep them at the company. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's. I think that's a really good point. And I reflect on my own experience that I, I mean, I went into um, as I mentioned. I, well, I, I went through sort of a policy route. So you know, looking at um, how you can create uh, public policy, and that's something I still do, um, a slightly different level, um, looking more at EU policy. Um, <laughs> And one thing I kind of realized was that I can kind of do that, but the bit I enjoy more is the sort of generalist management of stuff. And it, it it's a weird, and, and to some extent I can understand why, but then in a slightly more holistic sense, it makes less business sense, let's put it that way, um, that I probably 
enjoy and I'm better, my skills are more suited to that generalist thing. And that's, you know, I've ended up getting qualified as product manager and things like that um, versus the specialist stuff. I could definitely do the specialist stuff. Um, and indeed, if I couldn't do it, I probably wouldn't be able to get into a generous position. But what that means is to kind of almost qualify to be a generalist in terms of management and kind of keeping the the plate spinning, as I would call it, you have to be good at the technical role um, to then get to that level. But that's not how people work almost, because, you know, if you're very good at the technical, um, you're not necessarily going to be good at the, the management, you know, not everyone's going to be great at everything. And and so actually, if you're someone that is perhaps better at the sort of managementy stuff, but less strong on the technical side, it can actually be quite hard to get into those positions where those skills are actually particularly used. Um, so I don't know, I was just sort of thinking about it in my own experience. And, and I guess that kind of happens quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as I said earlier, it's really important to understand your employees and to take the time and learn what motivates them and also what their strengths and weaknesses are. You should know that about every member in your team. And that does not just that's not just something that new managers have to think of. It's something that every manager in the company should think of. And then when you take that into consideration, that's when you can really create really good progression paths and promote the right people into the right roles. And then you know, okay, someone is great at being a specialist and someone is great at connecting with other people and has really great people skills. So it's all about getting to know your people and take the time to get to know them. For me, the worst thing someone can do in a leadership position is to cancel one-on-ones. Um, because every minute that you get to spend one-on-one -on -one with your team members is the chance for you to learn something about them. Hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, mean, I, I think we could continue on this topic, but because but, um, <laughs> I, 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 no, I find it fascinating. I guess one thing perhaps that is, I think it would be good to kind of hear is um, perhaps if you have any kind of you know, success stories, maybe anonymized or whatnot, just kind of, you know, someone who's come to you with an issue and kind of where that's led in the end and kind of after they've worked with you. Yeah. So I I have an example where where we managed to get quite a lot done. Um, I, I worked with a lady. Um, she was in her early 30s. Um, she had young children. And she also just got promoted to a management position. And that management position was also at a government company. So she had challenges within her team. And, and to be more precise, she had challenges with really getting the respect she thought they, she deserved and also motivating her team. And um, something we also have to take into consideration is that in her position, she could not let people go because that's just how the company worked. Um, it was very hard to let people go. And she had some people who were really not performing and quite frankly, um, just not taking her serious. And uh, she told them to do something, they didn't do it. And as a result, she did it herself. And then she didn't have enough time for her family, for her kids. And it put a lot of stress on her children, on her relationship. So if we have issues at work, it usually also 
shows up in our private life. And she was the prime example for that. So we started working with each other and she got to first learn how to delegate and also how to hand over responsibility because what she tried to do in the past is really to tell people what to do. And that there was one person she really struggled with, which was a lot older than her. And what she started doing is she really tried to understand them and work with them on finding a style that works for both sides. And we worked together for six months. And at the end of those six months, she really got to leave work on time. She had more time for her children. She was more relaxed. She felt happier at work. She felt like she really started creating really good bonds with her team. And it's just so rewarding to see how the small shifts can create big change. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and um, no, it's great, it's great to, to hear. Um, especially when you mentioned governor, it just, it just gives me flashbacks. Like yeah. The amount of times yeah. I've had, and this was me at a, a management position myself, um, new managers, I must have had, oh, I can't remember, four or five coming in and kind of, usually they were on promotion themselves. So they were really keen to quote unquote, seize the agenda and, you know, make mm-hmm. a change. And they would just kind of come in and just change a bunch of stuff and it would be a bit of a mess. And I just, I was like, I have to manage upwards because, oh yeah. They, I mean, I get it. They want to kind of show that they can do the job and all that stuff, but they kind of just try and do things and all that. And and sometimes, you know, there is a place for that, but two months into the job when you don't really understand what's going on is perhaps not that. Yeah. And it, it drove me a bit insane. I mean, it was part of the reason why I left. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm, how many times am I going to have to go through this process of managing people who get promoted past me? Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, sorry. I, um, I can't help but give my own reflections, especially when you mention government. Um, yeah, but it's so interesting because so many of us have been affected by those situations. And I mean, that's also what you just brought up is such a good point because patience is also very important and you have to learn how to do the job before doing the job and you can learn from your team as well so yes maybe just take a bit of time before you start implementing changes and also when it comes to changes also including your team and not just putting that or telling them hey this is what we're going to change because then usually there's also some resistance and then it will get really tough yeah and if there is a top tip, um, maybe not cancelling someone's meetings when they go off on leave, which is half their job, which has definitely not happened to me and definitely not my own experience. Um, okay, we're, we're, um, the time is flying by. Um, and actually, one thing I wanted to quickly touch upon um, is um, maybe a little bit about um, the other part that you mentioned in terms of, you know, you're a coach in a, in a coaching business school and and and... and uh oh, i forget exactly as in so you so you do some some coaching of coaches as i understand it is that is that right um tell us just a bit more about kind of what that's like and, and what you do yeah so there i really get to work with future coaches and what i like about this is that i get to connect with people from all different backgrounds of course there are a lot of people who come from an hr background because then coaching skills make a lot of sense the people that I really like working with are the people who 
come from executive levels, C-level um, backgrounds, because it's so interesting to see that even though those people, they made it to the top, they still have the same thoughts, the same doubts that anyone else has. And I wish that more people could see that because often we think, oh my God, the CEO, they know it all, but they are also just human. And I think that, yeah, there would be so much to, to learn from each other if we would be a bit more vulnerable and open. And yeah, that's what I get to do there. So I get to coach those future, those coaches to be. Um, and I get to really see, okay, what do we have to work on to really get them to become those fantastic coaches that can then add value to the people they work with, or some of them also want to build their own coaching practices. So there are a lot of different reasons why people come to us. And of course, some even just want to learn coaching skills for their own personal development reasons, which I find great because coaching, you can apply it in any area of your life. You can, if you have a family, you can use your coaching skills with them. If you have, um, if you're managing a team, of course you can use it there. So it's all about communication skills and self-awareness, I would say. Yeah, no, and, and it's funny, actually, because that was one of the reasons I went into coaching. I was just like, you know what, I kind of like this people stuff. I might as well just do a qualification. It's only later I was like, oh, no, I'd actually like to do a bit more of this. Um, it's like more professional way. Um, but the way that it's helped me in terms of my own management and, you know, now when I try and manage people, I'm just like, well, do you want to do a bit of a, as much as you can, a a coaching sort of session. I mean, I'm still their manager, so it's not quite a sort of neutral arbiter, mm -hmm. but I try and be. Um, and, you know, I think it makes so much difference. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I can't know for certain, but, you know, a lot of the people I manage have benefited from that. And so even if, you know, it's not necessarily a coaching course, but even just some of those skills and, and, and having an interest and a curiosity about it, I think would yeah. benefit so much in terms of the way we approach work and, I think we're seeing it a little bit with like taking a coaching approach, although my slightly cynical side is that it's like 10 minutes of taking a coaching approach and then 50 minutes of telling people what to do. And it's like, yeah, because I had the seminar. But that, even that is still great. I find like, of course, not every conversation can be a coaching conversation. And I'm surrounded by coaches. I tell them quite often to stop coaching me because like you can't do it nonstop but it's great if you can combine it with different skills so maybe you can have a bit of coaching but also managing and mix it and really create a style that supports you in achieving your goals and your team as well so I think it's it's a great skill to have overall yeah sure and it's funny with the sort of uh, because I, I mean I went through coaching school as well and you kind of get to these super theoretical question uh, conversations and it's just like what chocolate would you like and it's like <laughs> what chocolate do you think you would like and it's like for God's sake <laughs> <laughs> um, but no no that sounds that sounds great um, I think it would be a good moment and and I can't remember I I might have neglected to actually mention this but um one of the sections that we do before we finish up is uh what we call a quick fire round um okay. <laughs> and there's a there's two sets of questions and you get a choice of which one um there is the uh more sort of straightforward sort of uh you kind of get a choice of one or the other set of questions or the slightly more 
philosophical questions. Um, and there's 10 of them, so you can have a choice. Which one would you like? Um, okay, I go with, no, I go with the first option. Okay. So, uh, all right, well, let's, let's get started. Um, the first question is work or play? Play. Love or friendship? Friendship. Friendship Money. love. <laughs> Money <laughs> or happiness? Happiness. Summer or winter? Summer. Morning or evening? Morning. I could have guessed that considering we're doing this at like, <laughs> this is like 7am your time. Yes. <laughs> um, doer or thinker? Thinker. Sprint or marathon? Marathon. Night out or night in? Night in. Cautious or bold? Bold. And the last one is street smarts or book smarts? Wow. Um, book smart and street smart. It depends. Wow. Difficult question. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you, I, it's, it's quite fun doing that because you get sort of yeah. all sorts of ways. I mean, it, you know what? It's, it's like one of those coaching things. Like people interpret these words so like particularly and like, oh, well. You know, you get yeah. some that are particularly contrarian of even these labels and stuff. But uh, yeah, I like it. Anyway. No, I, I, it's it's fun to do. I think. Um, well, um, I think we're coming up to time. Um, before we kind of like finish up, um, what I usually do is just kind of uh, you know uh, ask you if you have anything you you might want to share to other or, or ask or say um, either to myself or the people listening. Um, so. Um, is there anything you'd like to say? I think a good message to to end this podcast with is that there's always something you can do. There are always opportunities and there's always help you can seek out. And sometimes that's the bravest and boldest thing you can do. So don't always listen to your own self-doubt or your fears. Try to take action and then everything will fall into place. A good coach's response. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think, um, no, it's, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking to Anna and um, it, it sounds great what you do. So um, yeah, no, um, it's been great chatting and um, Keep hey, doing what you're doing. Thank you. It was great chatting to you too. Thanks for having me here. Thank you very much for listening. I've been your host, Tamar Chowdhury. If you liked what you heard, perhaps consider subscribing. You can also find more information about me at my website, tamarchowdhury.co.uk. And here you can also find my full list of podcasts, as well as my weekly written blogs. If you do want to get in contact or have suggestions and feedback, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Do drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. 